Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. What do you do when you're in a relationship and your partner cheats on you? Or what if you're the partner who has stepped out on your relationship? Does that mean that things are over? Or how do you bring things back into balance and heal your relationship? Perhaps even get it to a place that's better than it ever was. My hope is that you're getting the tools that you need to thrive in your relationship here on the podcast. Of course, I also want to ensure that you have the information that you need in order to repair your relationship when things go wrong. Perhaps no problem impacts relationships more than infidelity. So whether you've experienced it in the past or it's going on in the present, this episode is for you. And if you're thinking about having an affair, I want to take a moment to encourage you to find a way to address the problems in your relationship directly. Believe me, even though a relationship that survives infidelity can be even stronger than it was before, it's way easier to just tackle things head on and avoid all of the hurt and trust issues that come from an affair. Today's guest is one of the world's experts on the topic of infidelity and how to heal in its aftermath. Her name is Dr. Janice Abrams Spring, and she's the author of the best-selling book, After the Affair, Healing the Pain and Rebuilding Trust When a Partner Has Been Unfaithful. She's also the author of two other books, How Can I Forgive You, The Courage to Forgive, The Freedom Not To, and Life with Pop, Lessons on Caring for an Aging Parent. Her book, After the Affair, has sold over 500,000 copies, and is full of insightful, relevant information about what to do if your relationship has been impacted by infidelity. Janice has also generously offered a free copy of her book, After the Affair, to a lucky listener. To qualify, all you need to do is download the show guide at neilsatin.com affair, or text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. Janice Abrams Spring, thank you so much for being here with us today on Relationship Alive. Well, thank you very much, Neil, for having me on. It's truly a pleasure, and and it's a painful pleasure, a bittersweet pleasure, because no one really wants to have to go through infidelity, and yet the percentages are quite high of the number of people that are going to be affected or touched by it in one way or another. I'm wondering if... Right off the bat, we can talk about, from your perspective, what actually constitutes infidelity in a relationship, and and also why is it so damaging? Yeah. Well, uh, to me, infidelity is very broad and has to be defined not by me, but by the couple. And that, that you know, people know when they are violating their partner. That's why they keep it a secret. If they thought it was above board, they wouldn't keep it a secret. So whatever their definition is, most people know when they're cheating and when their partner would be hurt or or disapproving. But in general, I say that infidelity is not necessarily about sex, but about secrets and the violation of trust. And as a general rule, I say... If your partner were in the room looking over your shoulder, feeling very uncomfortable, you should assume you're having an affair. You're doing something wrong. 
so it's a very broad definition, but it speaks to the heart of what constitutes infidelity. Yeah, and it strikes me that that's a very useful definition as well. Um, and it reminds me of an episode that we had earlier with Ellen Bader and Peter Pearson about lies. And the the central question being, how do you foster trust and intimacy? And it seems like what you're suggesting is basically the presence of any secret is really going to undermine that in a relationship. Uh, well, people have secrets, but they have permission to have secrets sometimes. So it depends on the policy, depends on the mutual understanding about those secrets. Not all couples feel the same about secrets, but what is their secrets policy? Uh, most couples don't have a policy, and uh, they only assume their partner would be feel betrayed, and that's why they keep it a secret. Uh, but it would be it would be wonderful if I mean, usually the dialogue begins when somebody discovers that the other is having an affair, then maybe that's the first time they really have ever talked out their ground rules. Uh, but that doesn't mean they wouldn't know what, what would upset their partner. And that's why they've kept it a secret. Do you have any suggestions to offer for people listening who are like, yeah, I, I actually haven't worked those, <laughs> those agreements out um, with my partner um, do you have suggestions on how to have that conversation and, and get at meaningful agreements? Yeah, they could say I was listening to this great podcast with Neil Satin, Janice, and they were talking about how couples really need to talk out what's kosher and what's not. And, you know, we've had some, maybe we have the same understanding, but maybe we have a different understanding. And would you be interested in talking about what is your definition of infidelity? And I'll tell you what mine is. And let's see how they line up. So I don't know that couples actually do this, because if you're questioning whether your definition of infidelity lines up with that of your partner, if you're, if you're doing something that violates that, again, probably you know that you, you probably know how your partner would respond. But yeah. it's good to have an upfront discussion. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I'm always encouraging my listeners and clients to to do is to take these things on proactively, um, that it, it may offer them a, a more graceful entree into a difficult conversation than waiting for something to happen. Right. And especially today in the world of cyber affairs, where it's very fuzzy what constitutes an affair. Because not only are people hooking up with, you know, those people they'll never touch, uh, they'll, they'll never meet in the flesh. So what constitutes an affair? Uh, if you never actually meet this person or touch this person. Again, for the partner, it may be that, uh, it could be something like you're talking about our marital problems to this person is a violation of trust. Whether it's considered an infidelity, it's considered a violation of trust uh, and a violation of me. So, uh, it, or it may be to one person innocent flirtation where they are talking perhaps sexually to somebody or flirting in some way that the other person experiences as a violation, but they have no intention of actually touching this person or meeting up with them. 
So one person may consider this crossing the line. The other one may consider it, you know, perfectly fine. And it sounds like what you're saying is not that there's any blanket rule that makes it important one way or the other, but the idea is that people need to be on the same page about whether flirting online with someone is okay if they never have an intention of, say, meeting up with that person. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, my I guess my own personal feeling about it would be that that it's it can be dicey with whatever you're doing that's taking energy the energy of sensual and erotic connection if you're taking that away from your relationship then it's you're walking in an edge there versus finding ways to nurture it in your relationship do you right. have any thoughts on that well, I, th I think people think differently about it some people would say that that to the, the energy, the sexual energy you're investing outside of the relationship is going to diminish the energy inside of the relationship. Other people will say the opposite. They would say, you know, today people are together not 10 years, not 20 years, not 30 years, not 40 years, 50 years. You know, it's extraordinary. And the idea that you're going to be intimately and sexually connected with this person decade after decade uh, and and without allowing yourself to use fantasy, uh, or, and for some people, actually, you go online and, and look at pictures or whatever, or do mind videos or look at actual pictures, is just unrealistic, and that they believe that that is really ref refueling them, and they take that arousal and that boost in desire. And it, it nurtures the relationship. It's very healthy for the relationship. Now, the other person may not want to hear about it, what they're fantasizing about or thinking about or what they've gone online to look at that has boosted their sexual energy or desire for connection. But it doesn't mean that they're not doing it themselves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I and I'm, it makes me curious. I'm thinking about... Um, a conversation that we had here with Gary Wilson, who wrote Your Brain on Porn, and who talked about how the potential of exposing yourself to, let's say, porn as a way of fueling your sexual energy, um, because, and you write about this in your book, because what you're really doing is tapping into your brain chemistry, that it's not, it's often not about the porn, it's about what's, what's happening in your brain but that it can give people sometimes the wrong idea about what their sexual tastes or what fuels them sexually um, simply because they're on this ride of um, chasing novelty in order to continually fuel the, the mental uh, and the, the neurochemical buzz of, that they get from online um, sexual stimulation. Um, but I could see it being valuable in a relationship where where people are in agreement around it. I I, I do wonder how many people actually talk these issues out. Uh, it doesn't mean there it's not happening. I just don't know that people really both partners believe that it's safe and comfortable enough to talk talk these things out. So. Yeah. Well, let's let's come back into that realm of creating safety and and the aftermath of an affair, and and maybe it's worth spending a moment to talk about um, 
why people even have affairs to begin with, and in your opinion, and I, I, I'm sure you've seen a lot of reasons why. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, first of all, one of the critical tasks of healing after an affair is understanding why did the affair happen. You know, it's one thing to recommit and to promise monogamy uh, and to apologize. But I think it's critical to understand why did this happen? Uh, and, and it's not one reason why it happens. Often there are multiple reasons. And so, uh, you know, it, that making what I, what I call a list of contributing factors and understanding why did this take place? What does it say about me, you, and us? Uh, so, for example, a contributing factor could be that, uh, you know, you start to have, you have to go on a medication for, uh, for coronary disease and you start to have erectile problems. Uh, so uh, you begin to look for outside stimulation where it's not so difficult for you to perform, for example, or you're afraid of you losing your virility. Uh, or you are approaching that age when your father died and you haven't really thought about your own mortality, but in the back of your mind, you are wondering how much more of life you're going to be granted. Uh, Or it could be that you are angry and you feel that you're treated worse than the dog. You know, people make these lists and they feel they're on the bottom of the list in terms of how their partner treats them. And they've been harboring a grudge for a long time. And somebody comes along, shines on them, and makes them feel top of the world. And uh, it's very easy to get caught up in in the romantic chemistry of that. Uh, are they looking for another partner? Are they looking to remarry? Are they not, they're not really thinking these things through? All they know is they feel validated. They feel seen. They feel understood. They feel cared for and held emotionally in some way that they've been aching for. Uh, So, you know, some people are rebellious. And, you know, the day that they get married, the day they sign the paper, they start start to look for other partners because no one's going to tell them what to do. And, you know, they've had a history of rebellion that started way before they got married. Uh, So... uh, Anyway, there are so many different reasons why, how, why people are vulnerable to an affair. What's most important is that they look honestly at themselves and each other and, and, and address these vulnerabilities because those holes have to be plugged or treated in some way. And how does a couple navigate the, the delicate balance between... Um, a person who chooses to step out, I mean, you say time and time again in your book, that was your choice. Like you made the choice to have an affair and you need to take responsibility for that choice and and the repercussions. And at the same time, you also talk about nothing being a one-way deal in in a relationship and and that that it's important for the hurt partner to also think about where their responsibility lies so how do you how do you do that instead of, and 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 manage it in a way that's healthy um and healthy for both partners 
um, so that uh, a hurt partner doesn't feel like they're um, the person who stepped out is somehow justifying what they did as if it's like as if it's okay or was understandable or, or something and and vice versa so that the unfaithful partner um, gets a chance to talk about maybe some of the rele- the reasons in the relationship um, that were causing them to look elsewhere yeah these are these are not only challenges for patients these are challenges for therapists how to how to discuss these because uh, you know most hurt partners are very sensitive to being blamed for their partner's affair and they're going to become quite angry if, if the therapist is uh, trying to teach them something and have them assume some role in the, in the partner's affairs not necessarily I mean some people are would you know say from the very beginning look uh, I understand why you had an affair and um, you were unhappy and frankly I was unhappy and I know I did plenty of things to push you away so uh, but other people will say you know don't blame me for your affair and, and I don't want to take any responsibility you cross the line and uh, you know what you did was wrong. You wronged me. So people vary tremendously in, in the degree of responsibility that they take for the other person's affair. And they should, because sometimes they have contributed a great deal to making that other person feeling unloved and unseen and uncared for. It was making me curious to know if that willingness has any impact on recovery from infidelity. Certainly to the extent that the hurt partner understands how it happened. And it, and even if they feel they have a significant contribution, then they have control over their own behavior. And they may know that if they do better, the couple will do better. And, and, the, and the partner is unlikely to stray. But frankly, this is very fiery stuff because when, hurt, when people are hurt by their partner's affairs, usually their first response is not to think about what is it that I did that made you do that. Usually they're hurt and they feel they have been violated uh, without justice. Right. And so coming from that place, it may take a little while before they are willing or want to look at their part. And, and that brings up the question of um, what are some ways that couples, when infidelity hits them... Can you just say one thing there? Yeah, absolutely. Talk about their part. A lot of people will say, you know, if I do something wrong, if I push you away, then don't go, have a, don't go to someone else. Come to me. Come to me have the courage and character to come to me and say, you're treating me in a way that makes me vulnerable to somebody else's attention. And I'm sounding the alarms. Um, and, uh, you know, you may want to look at this with me. You may not want to, but I'm hoping you will because I love you and I want to be with you. But the way that you're treating me right now makes me question whether I want to be here. Now, that, again, it doesn't happen that way. But if it did happen that way, 
um, many fewer people would end up having affairs. And then the other person has a chance to say, yes, I'm very interested in what I'm doing. And uh, please, please tell me what's what's bothering you. And I will take it seriously. Yeah, I I really appreciate the, that language that you just offered, because I think it's a it's a really empowering way uh, for someone who's who is in that position to to think about how to bring it to their partner in a way that's empowering. Um, it, it, what you said just seems to really emphasize for that person, I want to be here. And yet what is happening right now is making that challenging for me. Right. I could see that being a start of some very hopefully fruitful conversations for people. I want to also just take a moment to to mention that we have this assumption that we're making already in this conversation. Um, your, I mean, your book, After the Affair, Healing the Pain and Rebuilding Trust When a Partner Has Been Unfaithful, has contained in it the assumption that that's possible. And, um, and I'm sure that a lot of people listening are going to feel reassured to know that actually in, uh, infidelity doesn't mark the end of of uh, an amazing relationship. So can you talk a little bit about how would a how would a couple know if theirs is a relationship that that can be healed? Well, they, they probably don't know. I mean, it, it's not something where you you can know that starting off. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a cancer treatment. Are you going to survive? I, I don't know. Let's talk about it in six months and see how you're doing. So I, I think people can ask themselves, are they willing to do the work that's necessary to rebuild the relationship? Uh, are they willing to understand each other's hurts and needs? Uh, are they willing to change their the way they treat each other? Uh, um, and, you know, the idea is that whether you stay in this relationship and you learn how to be a better partner or you go to the next relationship and learn how to be a better partner, you're going to have to learn how to be a better partner if you're going to have a successful relationship. And if you do it here, then you get to preserve the family, the children, the assets, um, and you grow as, a, as an individual. But, it, you know, for a lot of people, if they bring these behaviors to any relationship, they're, they're, it's going to fail. It's going to suffer. So the idea here is that you take this catastrophe and you learn from it and you go on, you grow as partners and you have a new marriage to the same person, a second marriage to the same person with new skills. Yeah, and I like how your book addresses the viewpoints of both partners. So, you know, I felt like I could really come to understand it from the perspective of an unfaithful person, and I could understand the situation from the perspective of the hurt person. And uh, and actually, I also just really enjoyed your choice of that language um, and how, can you can you talk about why you didn't use the language of betrayal? and instead favored uh, the, the unfaithful part, partner and the hurt partner. 
Yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking about the language. It's very controversial. People have very strong feelings about it. Some people like it. Some people hate it. Uh, so, you know, I, I there's one person who's often I call the the hurt, I decided to call one person the hurt partner, and the other one is the offender or the unfaithful partner. But I say over and over again that the, these aren't clear-cut divisions because often the person who has the affair, the unfaithful partner, is also the hurt partner and has, you know, has also offended the other. So it, these aren't like st strictly clean categories, uh, but for people to really care about what they've done wrong and how they've hurt the other and why the affair happened and what did they do that contributed to creating space between the two of them that made room for someone else to come in between. And it's, you know, it's very sobering work, uh, but people can, can grow a lot from examining that if they're willing to look openly at themselves and each other and do the ne work necessary to learn from the affair and to, and to create something new. I'm sure you, you hear this question, which is something like, like, um, how, like, will I ever love my partner again? Will I ever trust them again? Will I ever feel like we're special for each other again? Because that's been decimated by, by the affair. Right, right. I, I think that it's very important for people to understand that's how, that's how they'll begin with those questions. And it's, it's hard to turn to your partner and commit and treat each other better day after day when you're not really sure, you know, so, so what will I get? What, what's the prize at the end of this? Am I going to feel loved? Am I going to be happy? Am I going to feel cherished? Uh, and I, I do say it's kind of like walking through a black cloud. There are going to be times, and therapists have to know this too, there are going to be times when partners lose their way and they will believe that too much damage has occurred and they can't possibly heal after the affair and that the, the you know the mold is broken uh, and uh, the couples who succeed often just hold on through that process they keep walking they don't stop uh, they feel despair they they feel pessimistic they feel unloved they, they feel a lack of love for the other. Uh, and they continue walking. They continue doing the program. And I say it takes a year and a half after the affair is revealed and, and, and after it is formally ending. I say it takes a year and a half of a roller coaster ride up and down until people really feel that they're going to make it. And they have to be willing to endure times when they think just, you know, too much damage has occurred. It's over. But the couples who are successful stay, hold on. That reminds me of something that you write about several times in your book, which is the, the danger of assuming that your emotions represent reality. Right, right, right. The emotional reasoning. Yes. If I feel despair, if I feel hopeless, that it must be. 
rather than, you know, we can feel all kinds of things depending on what we're thinking in the moment, but it doesn't necessarily forecast the future. And it's very hard to know that. So what's a great tool for someone who's listening and is like, oh yeah, I, I, I know that feeling, <laughs> the, the hopelessness or... Um, I, I remember, you know, with one man where he had the affair and he came back home mostly because of his kids and because of his religion. Uh, but he ha- really was in love with this other person. And he told his wife that. So he, he came back home and he was working on this marriage. And, you know, they worked for a couple of years on rebuilding trust and a connection. And he came in one day and he started the session by saying, I, you know, I, I, I want to say when I, I, I first came back home, I, I did it for probably the wrong reasons. And I really didn't know if I would ever love you again. But we've worked very hard at this marriage. And I have to tell you that I, I know something today that I didn't know when I started. And that is, I am really glad to be here with you. I never thought I would really feel that or know that. And uh, I know absolutely that I love you. And I am where I want to be. And his wife responded, well, you know, I, 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 I don't really feel the same as you. Because you've hurt me so terribly with what you've done. I can't say that I have the same feelings of love or gratitude for you that you're proclaiming to me. I, I really have very mixed feelings towards you still. And I don't really know if I'm ever going to love you enough to, to be happy here. Maybe, maybe that's the way it works. And, uh, you know, to, to think otherwise, again, if you set the bar so high, you're not going to make it. So she was terribly hurt by his affair. She took it terribly personally and uh, was destroyed by it. It's going to take her longer to feel cherished and to overcome her sadness and bitterness about his affair. But he came to a place where he, he'd never imagined he'd be. Uh, if he had quit after three months, he wouldn't have gotten there. But it does take working on it for a very long period of time, sometimes longer than people are willing to give, sometimes not. Well, and hopefully uh, when he reached that place, it put him in a position where he could weather his wife's doubt and uncertainty and, and you know they were still traveling the road together. I definitely want to talk about some of your rebuilding strategies, but before we do, you touched a moment ago on something that I think is important to just bring up briefly, which is the question of revealing an affair, and you talk about this towards the end of your book, that question of like, do I reveal it or do I just put it to bed and learn from it and pretend it never happened. And so we're talking from the perspective of the person having the affair, because obviously they're in the position to reveal it or not most of the time. Although I guess you could be the hurt partner and find out about it and still be kind of sitting on that information to wait and see what happens. Um, so yeah, do you have any any thoughts for our listeners about about, is there a time when it makes sense to not actually reveal it, but to just recommit and move on and I wouldn't say pretend it never happened but learn from it within and grow without confronting your your partner with that information 
Yeah. Well, you know, therapists tend to feel strongly, have, 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 have an answer to this question. And I, I don't know that there's one answer. I, I think that uh, for, for some people, well, I think it's important that people think thoughtfully about the question is, is the bottom line for me. Uh, for some people, they may decide that it makes no sense to reveal the affair. You can give up the lover and recommit to your marriage partner and learn the lessons from the affair without telling your partner you had an affair. And for some people, knowing that revealing the affair is going to destroy the spirit of the other person, that they'll never recover, uh, that they'll become so depressed and demoralized or angry that the, the, the relationship would have no chance of recovery, they make a decision not to tell. But whether you tell your partner or not, you can still understand why did this affair happen and bring, if there are grievances in the marriage, bring those grievances to your partner without confessing the affair. For other people, you know, there's the saying by the late Frank Pittman, the person with whom you hold the secret is the person you're closer to. And if you have a secret with the affair person and your marriage partner is in the dark, then you are, in essence, closer to the affair person than you are to your marriage partner. And to rebalance that, you've got to really confess the truth uh, and tell your partner. Also, people feel that they have a uh, their partner has the right to make a decision whether they want to be in the marriage, knowing the truth about what's happened, and that you don't have the right to really cover up the truth uh, for, uh, that, that pertains so centrally to another person. So again, there isn't, I don't think, a right or wrong or a way to do it, but these are some of the issues that people need to think through when they're, they're deciding, should I tell or not tell? This um, relates, I think, also to a question that I got from, from one of my avid listeners who has also been working through your book. Um, and, and so this, this question, actually, there are two sides of it that come from each of the partners. And one is, um, how, as the hurt person, how do you manage the need to know everything and the, you know, wanting to know versus potentially the, the possibility that you're, you're driving yourself a little bonkers by knowing everything. And on the flip side, the, um, from the person who had the affair, the question of um, how do you how do you balance the things that maybe should be left unsaid that would do more harm than good versus your partner's asking for that information? Yeah, well, these are very tough questions and they're very subjective. You know, it's not something we can really measure. But the way that I work is that I will meet with the hurt partner, what I call the hurt partner, and we will go over what is it you want to know. And I'll, I will try to tailor it with them, uh, always asking, you know, is the answer going to help you or just hurt you? And if, if there's nothing good that's going to come of it, you know, people think they want information. And then, you know, what are they going to do with this information? They sometimes ask for details that live on in their, in their minds, even when they're sleeping, and it torments them. Uh, sometimes they want to ask questions that are just going to embarrass their partner. So again, let, let's look at what is the motivation 
and knowing the answer to this question, will it hurt you or help you? And then ask the question at that level. And, you know, down the road, you always have a chance to ask more questions. You don't have to necessarily ask everything right now. But I, I, I do think that people sometimes just ask questions. And I don't know where they're going with the information. And I don't know that it's useful. So, so it sounds like what you're saying is on the one hand, the person asking for information should hopefully be going through a process of deciding or figuring out, is this information I'm after really going to be helpful? Yes. And if so, and they ask, then it seems like it's the prerogative, it's their prerogative and that the, the unfaithful partner should give them the information they're asking for, assuming that's the process they're going through. Well, yes. I don't know about the should, but yes. Uh, you know, it would be good if they would answer at that level. Uh, so, uh, but again, in meeting with the unfaithful partner, they may have different ideas about why that person is asking the question. Mm. Maybe they think that that person is, you know, the hurt party is is just, you know, wants to humiliate them or... Um, Give, give them reason to quit. So uh, as a general rule, I would say that after meeting with the hurt partner and thinking through, will the information help or hurt, uh, they have the right to ask the questions and they're asking their partner to answer respectfully with, with the truth. And what are some strategies, whether it's, uh, you know, a hurt partner um, driving themselves a little bonkers by thinking about the affair person, which is the, the lover, the person that the, that the affair was committed with, um, or for that matter, the, the unfaithful per- person, how do, they, how do they actually get that, the, the other out of their lives so that they can really focus on each other? Well, you know, the affair person sits there, especially no, nowhere more than in the bedroom. They take up residence. And uh, I remember I had this couple in, the, in my office, and they were sitting chairs next to each other, and they kept talking about the affair person, the affair person. So I wrote down AP on a piece of paper, affair person, and I put it down in between the two of them. I said, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to get this person out from between the two of you. And the wife picked it up. She was the hurt party. And she she wrote AP, shook the AP, and then she wrote APE for ape. She said, yes, this sits between us nowhere more so than in the bedroom. And that's right. Whether you're talking about it or not, that person is, is sitting there. But often, often the attraction is not to the affair person, but to the way the unfaithful partner experienced themselves with this person. And, you know, that experience isn't necessarily going to last because we know from John Gottman that that most successful, happiest couples in America don't resolve two-thirds of their problems. So it's very easy to have a very strong romantic attraction and attachment to someone uh, when it's secretive. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be so easy once you're free to be with this person. Um, so. Yeah, so um, so helpful hints about making that transition so that 
the affair person isn't between them. Um, I know you've mentioned having a funeral for the lover and some other things like that. Yes, yes, yes. So I have something called have you know having a funeral for the lover for the affair person where there is a formal ending where the unfaithful partner will let's say write an email or a letter that says this is a formal ending that I will never contact you again and I will never accept contact from you. It's very important to say these things so that the rules are spelled out. Um, you know, it could be if you do call me, I will not answer and I will tell my partner immediately. Uh, and it could be I wish you well. You know, I, I've hurt my partner terribly. We're in therapy trying to rebuild this marriage. I wish you well. And then that letter is given to the other partner. Often they will edit it. You know, something like I wish you well, they'll cross out because they don't want their partner wishing this other person well. Um so they come up with some letter, but it's 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 actually important that the unfaithful partner not be nasty or cruel in this formal ending, because I find that when they are to this person who really often was a friend to them, and uh, you know has hasn't wronged them, if they are nasty or cruel, and the hurt partner pushes them to say things, you know, you never meant anything to me. And uh, it sets up some kind of debt, I find, that then the unfaithful partner feels down the road they need to redress. And you don't want that to happen. You want it to be a clean cut, kosher cut, I say. And where you cut off from this person, you have a formal ending, you're respectful to them, and of course you're respectful to your partner. Uh, and and you make it very clear that you will never contact them again. And um, and if they do call, you don't respond, uh, and you tell your partner immediately. Great. And uh, I want to point out to our listeners that the the third part of your book, which is all about the rebuilding that happens, re the recovery. It's, it's the longest section of your book, and we are, of course, only scratching the surface, and it covers everything from how you structure what you learn from the affair and rebuilding trust and sex after an affair and um, the place of forgiveness. And with only a few minutes left, we're not going to have time to talk about much of that. I do want to let our listeners know that um, Janice Spring has generously offered a free signed copy of her book to a lucky listener. And if you would like to qualify for that, text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. Or you can download the show guide at neilsatin.com slash affair, A-F-F-A-I-R, and that will qualify you to win a free copy of After the Affair. Thank you so much, Janice, for that. My pleasure. And I'm wondering if we can can take us out with maybe a, a couple key tips for what's involved in the process of actually rebuilding trust. And maybe you can frame that in a way that's helpful for people listening and thinking, okay, like I'm on board with, with recovery where do we start? Because I want to trust you or I want to be trusted and I don't know where to go from there. Yeah. 
Well, I say that trust is not built on verbal reassurances, you know, trust me, honey, but on concrete behavior. And so in the After the Fair book, I have lists and lists of trust-building behaviors, both, uh, you know, in, in, in the flesh and in cyberspace. Um, the new edition now has a chapter on the new infidelity affairs in cyberspace. So these are concrete behaviors that when you do these things, the hurt partner will say, I feel closer to you, I feel more, uh, I feel safer with you. So it could be anything from uh, let me know when you've heard from the affair person immediately. You know, I don't want to have to ask you, so have you heard from her? And I find out, yeah, you know, three weeks ago you were having lunch somewhere. She was, she was sitting at the table next to you. Uh, and you tell me, oh, but I had a very brief conversation. I, I want to know immediately if you if you run into each other or you hear from her. Uh, so it, it, it could be on the day when I have learned about your affair that you know I'm going to feel rattled, and you bring up the affair. You, you say to me, I know that it was a year ago this day. This, this is an anniversary day for you, and I'm sure you're thinking about my affair, and, and I'm thinking about how I've hurt you. And I'm wondering if I could do something today. Let, let, let's do something on this anniversary where we are. I am showing care for you and we're rebuilding. Um, it could be, you know, if you're angry at me, talk to me about it. Don't, don't. The pattern has been, you know, you clam up and you go to this other person. I don't want you going to the other person. If you're upset with me, let me know. And I will mirror you so that you feel that I'm hearing you. I won't be defensive. I won't explain and defend. I will first mirror you, and you could tell me if I'm hearing you. Um, you know, it, it, so it, it goes on and on, and, and the same with cyberspace. There are very concrete behaviors. You know, if I walk into the room and you're on the computer, don't turn off the computer. You tell me you're not online looking at porn or, or talking to someone. Leave, leave the screen open and let me see what you're looking at. I don't trust you when you quickly turn, turn the computer off. Uh, or if I send you a text during the day, why does it take you four hours to get back to me? That makes me wonder where you are and who you're with. You know, even if you're in a meeting, you can send me back a text to let me know. And, and it, this is how I feel safe. I feel you care about my feelings and you are protecting me. So trust is built on concrete behaviors, and they can be spelled out. Yeah, and I think that your book offers a great manual on trust building that is would be helpful for people even who haven't been through infidelity, but just on ways of really thinking about how to, how to build and grow their relationship. Right, and it's not just trust, it's caring. You know, it may not be the trust, but it may be caring, specific caring behaviors that are very, very idiosyncratic to the couple. Yes. Uh, Jenna Spring, thank you so much for your time today. And I also wanted to mention, if you're, if you're hearing this interview um, in the spring of 2016, Janice is also teaching a workshop at, Rep at Kripalu on, uh, in, in Lennox, Mass, on healing from interpersonal wounds. Is that a, a workshop for couples? For it's for the it's the one course I give a year for the public, as well as for therapists. It's a group course over Mother's Day weekend, May eighth, is it sixth through eighth of two thousand and sixteen. It's an eight-hour course. It starts Friday night and goes until Sunday lunch, 
and it's experiential and you can come and say nothing or participate as much as you like. Great. Well, I hope that for those of you who can, you take uh, take the opportunity to, to work with Janice and uh, hopefully um, we'll be able to have you back on the show at some point to talk about your book on forgiveness and healing any kind of interpersonal wound. So um, in the right. meantime... Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Janice Spring, and um, for your work in helping couples uh, recover from infidelity. Thank you. Thank you. Neil, may, may I mention my website in case people want to get in touch with me? And Absolutely. So I'm in Westport, Connecticut, and my website is www.janiceaspring.com. It's J-A-N-I-S-A spring.com. Great. And thank you for mentioning that. And I will make sure that we have links to your website, to your workshop at Kripalu, and also to all of your books on Amazon uh, directly on the show notes page, which is, again, neilsatin.com slash affair. Thanks so much, Janice. Thank you, Neil. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.